Good morning, Castleton Church family. So good for us to be together in worship this morning. I'm really excited for us to reach the end of the dedication Solomon's Temple in 1 Kings 8. Uh, I hope you found this to be a fruitful study. I certainly have found new treasures in God's Word, and it's, that's a joyful experience. I hope that's been the same for you. I want to give you a little preview of what's coming up starting next Sunday. We're going to take the next four weeks and look at one of our core values, biblical unity in diversity. We're, we're living at a time where our society is increasingly d divided. And in a time like this, is more important than ever for the Church of Jesus Christ, his body to be unified. So we're going to look at topics like Christian conscience, how you do theological triage. How do you know what things are hills to die on? And then what does the compelling community that God wants the church to be actually look like? I'm praying the Lord will use this to help us to glorify him during this very, very challenging time to live as a Christian. Well, why don't we turn our attention now to that last section of the dedication of Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. Verses 54 through 66. First uh, Kings chapter 8, verses 54 through 66. This is God's word to us. Now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all he has promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke by Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us that he may incline our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God, day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. Solomon offered as peace offerings to the Lord 22,000 oxen, and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. The same day the king consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered the burnt offerings and the grain offering and the fat pieces of the peace offerings. Because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fat pieces of, peace, of the peace offerings. So Solomon held the feast at that time, and all Israel with him, a great assembly from Labo Hamath to the brook of Egypt, before the Lord our God seven days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away, 
and they blessed the king and went, ho- went to their homes joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you grant us hearts that are inclined to you? Would you grant us full hearts, full of your joy as we hear your word to us? Remind us all that you have provided and grant us joyful obedience from the heart to all that you require of us. We pray these things, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. A friend of mine once said to me, Tommy, you've never been to a party until you've been to a Cuban party. I was fortunate enough to test that hypothesis out a few times. I got invited to a number of family gatherings for this particular friend, and one particular one sticks out as I'm thinking of times gone past where social distancing wasn't at the forefront of everyone's minds. Uh, It was an engagement party. It was full of life and laughter. There was dancing. There was lots and lots of hugging and kissing on the cheek. Um, There was so much food that even those of us that try and restrain ourselves couldn't help but eating too much that evening. Uh, The party went on and on into the night celebrating the happy couple and and by by the time it was all over and the the prayers had been said over them and everyone said their goodbyes one, two, and three times and more as is the custom, as everyone left, there couldn't help but be a sense. You were leaving with a full stomach, but more importantly, you were leaving with a full heart. A good party does that, doesn't it? A celebration, you you leave with not just a full belly, you leave with a full heart. As we come to the end of Solomon's dedication for the temple he built to his God, there is a fullness to the joy that God's people experienced. A festival for all time. A celebration for the full nation to fill their hearts with the joy of the Lord. As we look at this last section in chapter 8, we'll discover something that can help us in our worship. We'll discover this truth. Because of what God provides, we delight in what he requires. Because of what God provides, we delight in what he requires. We'll see that in three sections as we move through this last section of this dedication portion of 1 Kings chapter 8. In verses 54 through 56, we will see first what God provides. What God provides. Then in verses 57 through 61, we will see what God requires. What God requires. Then finally in verses 62 through 66, we'll see what God deserves. And in all of this, we'll see that because of what God provides, we delight in all that he requires of us. Let's begin in verse 54, what God provides. We, we find King Solomon 
on his knees before the altar of the Lord. That's a, a, a development because if we've been following his posture back when he started this prayer, all the way back up in verse 23, Solomon was standing with his hands outstretched toward heaven. Uh, I don't know when he switched from standing to kneeling. Maybe it was the weight of the moment of in the sevenfold intercession for God's people that drove him to his knees. That would be fitting. Maybe it was just a, a way to communicate his worship to God, even as the changing his posture in a long prayer. Whatever is the case, here he is on his knees before the Lord, his, the king praying for his people. What a, what a beautiful picture. As he prays for them, he does what he started this prayer with, he bookends this prayer with a double blessing. Look, look in verse 55. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. If you might remember back a few weeks ago, he did the same thing. He, he blessed the people and then he blessed God. He, like a, a good ancient Near Eastern, good ancient Near Easterner, he bookends his prayer. He begins and ends in the same place. And as he does so, he draws our attention to something that will sustain God's people in worship. It is the way that God has provided for his people. He, he gives three th ways that God provided for his people in these first few verses. First, he reminds them that God has provided for his people by providing them rest. You see that in verse 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Now, what is the rest Solomon is speaking about? It is surely the end of the wars that marked Israel during the conquest and during the first reign of their first kings. There was constant fighting by God's enemies against his nation, and it required a period of rest for the temple to be built. That Peace and rest in the land has come. But almost more surely than that, it's not just the end of wars that Solomon is thinking about. No, it is the rest in the sense of permanent dwelling. Remember, God's people, they were wandering in the wilderness for so long. Now they are in one spot, in homes. God himself had been wandering in a portable tent in the tabernacle, and now he is inhabiting a permanent temple. He has come to rest. God's people have been provided with the very thing God had promised he would give them. Rest on all sides. Rest with their God. And that's a, the second thing God's provide is his, he provides his people with his presence. You see that in verse 57. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us. Solomon in this prayer he asks for God to do what he's already promised to do, to be with his people. The temple is a standing monument to God making good on that promise. Him living right in the middle of his people. Solomon here points God's people to the great blessing this is and the promise that comes with it, that God will not abandon his people. There's a third way God provides 
That's in verse 59. It's that he provides ongoing help. Solomon knows that the needs of God's people won't go away at the end of this dedication. They will need new help from God day after day. Second half of verse 59. I've pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires. Solomon knows there will be need for rain and crops. There will be need for military victory. There will be need for God to provide them with blessings of repentance and renewal. There are so many needs he can't possibly pray for them all. So he prays that God would simply maintain their cause. That he would remember them. And that he would provide day by day what they need. You can think of it this way. Solomon is asking that God would not give them a lump sum of grace, but a drip by drip daily dose of grace. In this ending to this magisterial prayer, we see Solomon reminding God's people all that God has provided for them as they end this worship celebration together. Now, as New Testament Christians, of course, we know that we have even, an even greater way of knowing God's provision for his people. We have Jesus, the great provider, the better king than Solomon, who is able to bring the provision that God's people need now and forever. Jesus provided help for hapless sinners like us by coming and giving his life for us on the cross. Jesus provided us with God's very presence in the midst of his people by sending the Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside of each and every one of us that call upon his name. And Jesus grants us the best rest of all, rest for our weary souls, an end for striving, an end for anxiety when we find our all and our peace in him. Jesus does all this not with just a lump sum payment, but with a drip by drip application of his grace to us. Mercies that are new each and every morning. Brothers and sisters, would you remember, would you remember the way that God has provided for you through his son, Jesus Christ? One of the ways that we get to do that together are with the rhythms God has built into our body life through the ordinances. You know, last week, we took the Lord's table together outside. That was a joyful time remembering the body that was broken and the blood that was shed on behalf of us from Jesus. This week, we get to remember that other ordinance of baptism, of how we are joined with Jesus in his death how our sins were nailed to the cross with him and the penalty for those sins is wiped away. And, and then as we are raised to new life, to live a life in the spirit following after him. Each time, we, uh, each time we practice the ordinance together, we're reminded of the ways that God has provided for us, that he has saved us into his body we're reminded of all the joy that we get to uh, experience together. Brothers and sisters, maybe this week you need to allow yourself to be encouraged by being reminded of what God has provided for you in Jesus. 
when you know that he has provided for the biggest things, your eternity, it's easier for you to trust him with the smaller things in life. Would you trust him with your job? Would you trust him with your need for friendship? You feel the loneliness of this season? Would you trust him to provide? Would you trust him for the personal encouragement that you need this week, friend? If he's dealt with your greatest need, your sins and your eternal future, surely you can trust him to provide for these smaller needs as you live a life in obedience to him. We need to remember what God did, how he provided for us in Jesus Christ. And as we do, that we have a role we need to play. We also then are told what God requires of us. You, you could say it this way, once you know what God has done, it leads to your response of doing. That's our second point. What God requires, obedience. Obedience from the heart. We see that in verses 57 through 61. If you jump down to verse 61, you see Solomon giving a exhortation to the people. An exhortation for them to obey from the heart. Verse 61, let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Solomon understands that God's people need to obey him. He uses a common triplet in verses 58 and then most of it in verse 61 that you find throughout the Old Testament. Those statutes, those rules, those commandments, testimonies, that's a summary for the whole of the law that God gave to his people when he made a covenant with them. Solomon says we are to obey all of God's word. His people are to be wholly devoted to him and everything he has said. But notice that this isn't just rule keeping. It's not just go down your checklist and make sure you do everything God says and that's, you're done. No, no, this is to be from the heart. Phil Riken says it this way. He says this kind of obedience starts on the inside with a heart that's committed to keeping God's command, and then it works its way out in the way we actually live. See, it's not enough to just write, obey, in bigger and bigger words in your heart. It's not just about grin and bear it and, and do everything you have to, to, to do. No, God is after people that obey him from a heart that loves him. Even more than that, we see that what God asks of us, obedience, is something God delights to help us to do. Uh, look in verse 58. Solomon prays that he, that is God, may incline our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways and keep his commandments. Solomon prays that as God remembers his intercession on behalf of his people, that God would actually help them to be a people that obeys. It's very, very close to a, a famous saying of Augustine of Hippo. It's this, a prayer to God where he prays, give what you command and command what you will. That is, it's only possible to obey God from the heart with God's enabling grace, with his help, changing us from the inside out. 
Now, brothers and sisters, realize as followers of King Jesus, love and obedience are what he requires of his disciples. Remember what he said back in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, that doesn't mean that if you, that by keeping his commandments, you make Jesus love you or that somehow you earn his love by keeping his commandments. No, it, it's showing that there's a relationship between a heart that obeys and a heart that loves. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. Remember, when Jesus saves us, he doesn't just do a legal transaction up in heaven. He takes out a old stony heart and puts in a new living heart, a heart that loves him and loves to obey him. Now, that doesn't mean we obey perfectly as Christians, but it does mean we love to obey Jesus. And by the help of his spirit, we will see ourselves more and more obeying his commandments and finding joy as we do. So, brothers and sisters, this morning I need to ask you, do you love to obey King Jesus? Does your heart sing at the thought of a life that's pleasing to him? A life that reflects the things he loves as you live in this world. You won't have any joy as a Christian if you don't walk in obedience. If your life isn't lived in a way to please King Jesus. Maybe you find yourself this morning feel, feeling spiritually dry. And frankly, you're struggling to obey. Maybe you know what the Bible says you should do. And yet you find yourself really having a hard time doing it. Friend, I, I hope that you will take encouragement from the way Solomon prays and the way that Christians have been praying down through the centuries for God to incline our hearts to him, for him to grant us the very things he asks of us. Maybe this afternoon you just need to pray a simple prayer. Jesus, help me to want to obey you and see if the joy doesn't return to your Christian walk. Or maybe you find yourself in an even worse spot. You can't honestly say that you have any desire to obey. Maybe you've given in to sin, to things that Jesus hates for so long that the thought of obeying Jesus just is a foreign thing to your mind and your heart. Friend, if that's you, realize you're not too far for God to reach you. Jesus can take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. But you have to understand how far you are from him and your desperate need for him. Call out to him today and find the joy of living life for Jesus. Now, for all of us who find our Christians this morning, maybe you find yourself in obedience to what Jesus commands of you. You find yourself living as a Christian, and as far as your conscience knows, you are not in any sin. Uh, brothers and sisters, let's remember, any time we see obedience in our lives, it is God's grace at work. We don't take the credit when our lives are marked by joyful obedience. That is God granting us this prayer as God inclining our hearts to him. Now, if you're listening this morning and you're not a Christian, I think this is one of the most common misunderstandings people have about Christianity. They assume 
that we think because we keep rules, we're in with God. And because you don't keep rules, you're out with him. That could not be further from the message of what the Bible teaches. It teaches that none of us have kept God's rules perfectly. That if God were to hold us to account purely based on our obedience, that every single one of us would fail that test. But the good news is that God granted us the thing that we could never earn for ourselves. He sent his son, Jesus, to come and live perfectly according to his rules, to be without sin in any way, and to then give that perfect life as a substitute for people that have failed that test by dying on the cross. Jesus is God's answer for people that ignore and rebel against his rules. And, and friend, if, if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, I encourage you just to listen. Listen to the testimonies you'll hear before the baptisms we're going to have at the end of the service. I, I guarantee you, you will not hear You won't hear stories of people that have earned their way into God's good grace. No, you'll hear stories of God providing for sinners who haven't earned a thing and yet receive so much from God they can't help but live for him now. What does God require of us? He requires heartfelt obedience. But even more than that, what does God deserve from us? Well, that's what we see in verses 62 through 66. What God deserves. What he deserves is joyful sacrifice. We come to the end of the narrative portion of this unit. Solomon is leading the people in this grand celebration. The magnitude of it is hard to wrap your head around. So many sacrifices are offered up that the bronze altar isn't big enough for it. Solomon has to consecrate a courtyard to be big enough for all these animals to be sacrificed. uh, 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. So many animals that it is a meal big enough for a whole nation to have their fill. And that's exactly the point. We're told it's from river to river. You might say coast to coast, all of Israel, all of God's people gathering to celebrate this moment of fellowship. Their sacrifices to God aren't sacrifices of atonement for sin. No, these are fellowship offerings. These are joyous offerings of people enjoying their relationship with God. And as they sacrifice to him, as they eat and their uh, stomachs are filled, their hearts are filled as well. Look at the way this celebration ends. Verse 66. On the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went to their homes joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people. The people that came and celebrated with Solomon were glad that they came. They had encountered God's very presence. They had been reminded of his provision for them. And as they sacrificed to him, as they poured out all that they had, they found even greater joy refilling their hearts. Do you you know this principle, brothers and sisters? 
that no matter how much we give in sacrifice to God, we always receive more in joy from him. You can't outgive God. When you give to him all that you have, you find yourself filled with even more than you could have imagined. As Christians, sacrifice like this produces joy. Not, not the sacrifices of bulls and goats and oxen. No, but the sacrifices of a life lived for God, of pleasures of this world for God, for his purpose and his joy. The Apostle Paul understood this. In Philippians 2, 17 through 18, he shows this, this connection between joy and sacrifice. Philippians 2, 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The Apostle Paul was not having what we might call an easy life at that moment. This is a man in jail, seeing his very life be poured out bit by bit before the altar of his God. And yet there was joy in Paul's heart. He understood no matter how much he gives, that God always gives back more in joy in our hearts. Maybe you find yourself this morning listening to this sermon and you know God is stirring in your heart in such a way that you are being pulled toward a particular sacrifice on his behalf. Would you sacrifice your bodily desires? Especially for those of you that are younger. Would you forego the things that feel good, that even feel right? If you know, if you know that they're not something God wants for you. Friend, if you do, you will find more joy, more pleasure than you could possibly have ever attained if you gave in. Would you sacrifice even this flesh God's given you so you can have more of the joy of Jesus? I wonder, maybe you would, would you consider sacrificing your comfort, even the familiarity of home? If God would call you to go far and wide to bring the gospel in a global mission to somewhere where people need more preachers of the gospel. Friend, if you made that sort of sacrifice, I guarantee you, no matter how hard the road may be, you'll find more joy along the way than you started with. Or maybe you feel yourself being pulled to make a sacrifice for your sense of emotional safety. Maybe God's calling you into the fellowship of a church, maybe to open up in such a way that you can actually be known by other Christians. And maybe that's a difficult thing for you, maybe, maybe for good reasons. Maybe you've been burned in churches in the past. But friend, no matter how hard it is to give up that sense of security, the joy you'll find in the fellowship of the body of Christ far outweighs any dangers it takes to attain it. Friend, no matter what it is God has put on your heart this morning to sacrifice for him, would, would you remember that you will always gain more than you give up? That you can't outgive God? And that any sacrifices we offer in worship of Jesus will surely be returned to us in joy in our hearts. 
Solomon sent the people home with hearts full of joy. King Jesus, as we walk on that long road to our eternal home with him, he will fill our hearts with an everlasting joy. Even as we give up things along the way in, in worship of him. So brothers and sisters, would you find that joy this week? Whatever God is pushing you toward, whatever sacrifice he wants you to make, don't hold on to it with a tight grip. No, let go and watch the joy of the Lord fill your heart. Brothers and sisters, because of what God provides, we can delight in what he requires. Uh, one brother who understood this well was uh, missionary David Brainerd. He was a preacher who endured many hardships trying to reach the Native Americans in the Northeast. He died young. He endured much physical suffering, and yet he was a man filled with joy. Listen to how he thought about the, what God required of him but more importantly, what God had provided for him. He said this, I've received my all from God. Oh, that I could return my all to God. Surely God is worthy of my highest affection and most devout adoration. He is infinitely worthy that I should make him my last end and live forever to him. Brothers and sisters, what God provides means we delight in what he requires of us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for providing so much for us. Thank you that we will never run out of reasons to worship you. Would you incline our hearts to you now? Grant us joyful obedience from the heart, even when it means sacrificing things that we love. Let us see that we can never give more than you have given us. We ask these things in your mighty name. Amen.